Have you ever been invited somewhere and when you arrive there, you suddenly realise you've been set up? Have you ever experienced that at all? It can happen in many sort of situations. Perhaps, perhaps it's a good setup. Perhaps it was a, an unexpected party. You didn't expect, to, um, or maybe you expected a party, but not the guests who were there. Um, maybe you were invited by a friend to be introduced to someone, perhaps with the thought of maybe there would be some sort of relationship in the future, but you kind of felt a bit set up. Um, I, I, I know sometimes we, we in, in Christian circles, we can suggest, why don't you listen to such and such a sermon? And when you listen to the sermon, you suddenly go, uh oh, yes, I understand why I was encouraged to do that, because it was speaking to issues kind of felt set up. You probably think of many instances in your own life where you felt set up. Well, in our passage this morning uh, that we find in Luke 14, first of all, before we go into the parable that Jesus speaks, uh, tells us in, in Luke, 7, uh, Luke 14, verse 7, we read of a setup, a trap, that the Pharisees had to ensnare Jesus. So let's first of all read from Luke 14, 1 to 6. This gives us a precursor, an introduction to the setting of the parable that Jesus was going to give them. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers of Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. The, this dinner party was given by a prominent Pharisee and was attended by a, a number of notable guests as well as Jesus. The dinner party had been arranged deliberately on the Sabbath. And as far as these Pharisees concern, were concerned, Jesus in the past had violated the Sabbath by healing people on the Sabbath. And so into this situation, a man with serious illness, with dropsy, was also invited. This was a setup. And Luke says, and I can't help thinking when Luke says, Behold! There was a man. I, I kind of feel there's a bit of sarcasm in there. Now you can interpret it the way you want to, but it's kind of like, and behold, you know, they were out to trap him, and behold, they happened to just have this man here with this serious illness that was going to confront Jesus. Was he going to heal on the Sabbath? And this was the, the setup. Would Jesus, knowing that it was the Sabbath, Heal this poor man. Would he, in their eyes, break the Sabbath? The trap, as it were, the setup was now set. But Jesus, Jesus realizing what they were trying to do, turned the tables on them and asked the Pharisees and the lawyers the question Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He didn't answer. You see, if Jesus had just gone ahead and healed the man, 
They would accuse him, Jesus, of breaking the Sabbath. But now they were faced with Christ's question, which put them on the spot. Luke says they remained silent. For if they said no, they would be seen as uncaring. And if they said yes, they would appear soft and hypocritical regarding their stringent rules. So then Jesus, while there was silence, took the man with dropsy, healed him, and then sent him away. Jesus realised it was no longer necessary for the man to be there. Sent him, he sent him away. Jesus then confronted them, asking what their reaction would be if, if their son or an ox fell into a well on the Sabbath. Surely you would rescue them. Here Jesus was confronting them with the harshness of their rules and regulations, which would actually favour an animal over a needy person. Sometimes wonder in our society whether we favour animals over the needy person. And I won't say anything more about dogs or anything else because I'll get into trouble. But they, 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 this was what was, they were faced, you know, would they save, would they favour an animal over a needy person? You see, these people have become proud of themselves and their position, that they neither love God nor their neighbours. And a result of this confrontation, the dinner party went quiet. An uneasy silence fell over the gathering. Now Jesus, realising that these people were leaders in Israel, that even though they were leaders in Israel, none of them would make it into the kingdom of God unless there was a radical change in their hearts. But Luke tells us that while these Pharisees were attempting to trap Jesus and accuse him of breaking the law, Jesus had noticed how these important guests had arrived and sought out the place of honour around the dinner table. And so Jesus, in wanting to address their hearts as opposed to discussing the law, told them the parable we're now going to read in Luke 14, verses 7 to 11. Before we read it, I just want to say, here we see, here we see a marked difference between religious leadership and true spiritual leadership. The Pharisees were concerned about the law, whereas Jesus was concerned about their hearts. We need to be careful as well as Christians that we're more concerned about hearts than just the law. We don't want to get into that kind of religious way of thinking. Let's read then Luke 14, 7 to 11. This is the parable that Jesus now tells them. <clears throat> when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For every notice, while all this stuff was going on about healing, he noticed how they came in. He noticed how they were bidding for the, the place of honour. It probably isn't. It's, it's funny, in, in church sometimes, you know, the place of honour seems to... Or people won't want to be at the back rather than the front. I mean, the, the place of honour's at the front. I keep more anointing. All these seats are here. 
But we don't think of that perhaps in quite the same way. But for them, in that culture, it was very important to, to be seated in the right place, to be seen in the right place. And Jesus was wanting to address uh, this by using this parable. He wanted to address the issue of their pride. Uh, nephew's wedding and after the ceremony, you know what it's like. You finish the ceremony and you're wandering to the, to the room where the reception is going to be. And there's normally a table plan up. There was all, you know, all these tables in line and you look for your place. And I started looking at the top and I was going along. But I thought at one point we'd just been left out. And I came to the last table and the last two people on there were Jude and I. Now, it just reminded me of this. It wasn't that I was seeking the top, but it's, it's interesting where my eyes had started at the top. And if it was my choice, I might have chosen a different table, but we were last on the list. These guests all wanted to be first. How often do we want to be first? We want to be first. You want to be first in line. First through the door. You know, opening the door and letting somebody else go through, it's not just because it's biblical. No, I prefer one another. Let somebody else go. I want to be first. I find it interesting that I can, I can, I can find myself uh, much more patient and caring uh, when I'm walking along and letting somebody go in front of me than when I'm sitting in my car and somebody wants to cut in front of me. It's kind of, I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's the the lack of personal contact, but, you know, no, you're not pushing in front, I'm getting there. It, it, it can be different. You know, have you ever been on a plane where the captain says, now the plane has landed, you can all now get your baggage out of the baggage hole, uh, uh, the baggage um, storage above you and make your way out? And, and, and suddenly this, it's like panic. And, you know, people are... I mean, some people at the back of the plane are suddenly now at the front or the entrance, you know, they've made their way there so quick. Other people wanting to get out in record time. You know, kids, I was thinking of you. Do you find at school that you find that I want to be the first one picked? You know, I don't know whether you have it now, but I'm sure you do, where you have someone who's going to pick a team for something and you all say, pick me, pick me, pick me. I want to be, it's me. You want to be first. You want to be the one who is first in line. We always want to be first. You know, I was thinking when, when you go to an event, I mean, if you've got seats booked, it's easy. But if you haven't got seats booked, you're rushing to get the best seats. You're rushing to get the best view. Now, what happened to the exhortation in the scriptures to honour, prefer others? Look not to your own interests, but others. You know, getting the best seat may not be an issue for us today. I want to throw out a question for you. What about social media? Getting the best seat was for them getting prominence, getting recognition, getting attention. Is that why we use social media? Is that the motive to behind social media for us? It can be a good thing, please. And if you're going to go on social media... Go on social media and talk more about Jesus than yourself. But social media can be that place where we seek prominence. We seek to promote ourselves. We seek to push ourselves forward. 
The truth is that these Pharisees and these scribes were selfish, self-seeking and ambitious. What was taking place in their hearts and minds, they were reducing the importance of others and enlarging their own importance in their minds. We live in a world, don't we, where people are constantly putting themselves forward and boasting in their abilities to gain position or notoriety. And without getting political or any sense, we're seeing now in a, a competition of political leaders who are out there promoting themselves, promoting themselves, we see, to, to gain position, to gain notoriety. Isn't it a politician, a celebrity, a, perhaps a sports star who present themselves in genuine humility? It's refreshing but it is not the teaching of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is, somebody once said, it's like an upside-down kingdom. You go down to be raised up. It's an upside-down Christian. As Christians, let us join with the Apostle Paul and determine that we will boast. Our boasting will be in nothing except Christ and him crucified. In verse 11, Jesus was teaching us Humility. Secondly, I want to say, because that's the first point. Secondly, Jesus modelled humility. Throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus modelling humility. And in washing the disciples' feet, Jesus modelled just one expression of humility. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, we read of Christ's ultimate expression of humility. We read that Christ, the Son of the living God, humbled himself by being obedient to the Father and obedient to the Father's plan of salvation to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're going to sing later the song, You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you had created. What powerful words. Gave up everything for us. Suffered at the hands of those he had created. The cross was the place of Jesus humbling himself. When we read in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him. We see the fulfilment of the teaching in verse 11, whereas Jesus said he humbled himself, but God exalted him to the highest place. Philippians 2, verse 11. After Jesus humbling himself, God exalted him to the highest place. This was totally different. And in contrast to the Pharisees who desired to exalt themselves by getting the prominent seats. As Christians, we, we don't have to strive and boast to try and gain ministry positions. We don't have to strive to get a position in the church, to get a place perhaps considered of honour in the church. We don't have to boast like we see our worldly leaders do. We in this upside-down kingdom can lay our gifts and talents and ambitions for position before Jesus. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble 
Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Jesus taught humility and Jesus modelled humility. And finally, humility is the very foundation of our salvation. Kent Hughes calls this event, this dinner party, is a brilliant lunchtime example of evangelism. And unless we're prepared to humble ourselves before God and bow the knee to King Jesus, there is no salvation. Salvation starts with repentance of sin. Repentance of our independence. All, all our sin is based in, wrapped up in our independence and our selfishness. We want what we want when we want it. It's, it's an independence that drives us to our sin. The only thing that we bring to the party of our salvation is our sin. And in doing that, it is necessary to humble ourselves for salvation. Matthew 10, verse 38 says, Jesus said, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In following Jesus, we are exhorted to live humbly before God. Daily, we are exhorted to take up the cross in our following of Jesus Christ. It's a laying down of our preference, of ourself, and it's taking up the cross of Christ. It's taking up not the cross, but that representing the cross, dying to self. C.J. Mahaney, in Defining Humility, writes in his excellent and highly recommended book on humility. I would recommend everybody to read this book. It's, it's difficult to write a book on humility, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I'm humble. I'm just write about it. This is just such an excellent book, and I'd, I'd encourage you to read it. But he says this, Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. He goes on to say, Without an honest awareness of both these realities, all self-evaluation will be skewed, and we will fail to understand or practice humility. Read that again without an honest awareness of these two realities, assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness, without an awareness of these realities, all self-evaluation will be skewed and will fail to understand or practice humility. So how can we, how can we grow? How can we grow in humility? How can we put pride to death? Well, Clothe yourself with humility. Do things. Humble yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Remind yourself every day that you're a sinner. Saved by grace. Every day, confess sin. Make sure that every day you're aware I'm confessing that you are humbling yourself before God. That will encourage us to grow in our practice of humility. The whole purpose of this parable, all that was going on in, in this parable, the reason for this parable is summed up in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled himself will be exalted. It is God 
who will do the humbling if we exalt ourselves, and it is God who will exalt us if we humble ourselves. We don't have to fight. He will do it. It's his job. It's his work, and he delights to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the model, the example of our Saviour, who modelled humility in a way that just was just sometimes to really, really understand the depths that he went to. Father, forgive us when we allow pride to take its wrongful place in our lives. Lord, we know that right throughout our lives that we will be forever challenged with pride. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us where we've been proud, where we can identify it. But Lord, do you give us grace to clothe ourselves with humility. The Lord, we can't just do away with pride as it is, but we have to we clothe ourselves with humility, which deals with the issue of pride. So, Father, would you help us as a people, help us, Lord, to, to deal with, uh, with pride in our lives, to humble ourselves before you, to humble ourselves before one another, that, Lord, that we will not seek to emulate the world and, and, and strive for position. Lord, that you will give us grace. You will encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.